And we have lots of young people here, but they're very young. But they may um, yet be able to tell me, and, and some are quite shy, despite being very tall. So I'm going to ask you at distance, so you're not even on the screen, you know what this is, presumably. A lemon. Lovely. So, hands up, who loves lemonade? Yep, brilliant. Lemon flans. Yes, lemon pop, all of those things. So, who wants to just eat a lemon? No. One. Actually, there are two, because Liz, Liz blew this earlier. I said, I'm going to talk about lemon. She said, oh, good, I love eating raw lemon. That's the wrong answer, okay? You see, we love all the things from lemon. But give me a raw lemon, and it's bitter, and it's tart, and frankly, rather offensive. It's not nice. So something has to happen to this lemon to make it palatable. And that's the Sermon on the Mount, finished. Excellent. I've got another illustration for you. This one is completely different. Because I could ask Phoebe up here, because she's quite tall now, and, and she could give me a high five. Actually, she could give me a high five up there too, I suspect. But, if I asked Phoebe to touch the top of the arch, how would you get on? That's ridiculous, isn't it? What a stupid thing to say. That's the Sermon on the Mount, part two. More will be revealed later on. So remember the lemon and the arch, okay? That's all you need to know. Morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our heart be pleasing unto you, our Lord and God. Amen. We're continuing our our series this morning looking at... uh, at Jesus Christ 
the person we thought we knew, uh, but who is causing us to think again. Uh, we're looking this morning, as you know, at the Sermon on the Mount, and we, we saw the first part and we heard it in uh, what, uh, that clip that we saw a little bit earlier. And we have this wonderful image, don't we, of Jesus uh, sitting on the ground calmly chatting to people just as we are at the moment. You're hanging on every word. You're smiling. You're enjoying what is being said. I wonder what your earliest memory of the Sermon on the Mount was. It could have been something a bit like that. Probably the children at the front, listening, doing jigsaws. I suspect that we look at this passage very fondly because it's talking about other people, isn't it? Here comes Jesus, Robin Hood. He's going to steal from the rich and give to the poor. He's going to tell people how to live a better life so that the world is a better place. The knight is arriving on his white charger over the hillside. Here is Jesus, calmly instructing. He's being that loving, compassionate, caring person that we know. And we can all point our finger at those lording over us and say, Ha! He's talking about you. You've got it coming. Is that really what we think? Because our image of Jesus, the one that we've learned about, is not necessarily the picture of Jesus that we see in the Gospel records. We've already seen over these... I've got a contender hiding in the bushes. Uh, we've, We've already seen... And notice that Jesus was an unexpected Messiah. Unconventional, potentially confrontational, challenging the preconceived ideas. And just last week when we thought the time was right for Jesus to fight back as he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness, Jesus just pushes back calmly and does very little. Jesus was not after the short-term relief, but the long-term gain. And now, in this passage, we seem to have an extremist on our hand. Yes, the Sermon on the Mount is challenging, but do we realise quite how dramatic, quite how explosive it really was? How the attitude and approach of Jesus, frankly, is really quite alarming. He's talking to the Jewish people, the chosen people, God's chosen people. They're the elite, and Jesus wants them to follow him. Wants them to follow God in a new and a more relational way. All of society having the same access to God. Now that would have been dramatic enough in those times. That was radical. And we would imagine that if if it was me and I wanted people to follow me, I'd try and ingratiate myself with them. I'd try and get them along with me. It's called getting buy-in, isn't it? And getting ownership. So that everyone comes along with you. 
You see, these Jewish people are under a brutal rule. We forget that. The Romans were an occupying force in someone else's country. They extracted talent. They extracted money. They repressed any hint of uprising. They restricted freedoms. The Romans demanded respect and authority. And the leaders of the national religion are frankly impotent. Either impotent or they go along with the Romans for an easy life. And the general population is looking for help. Ease my burden. Ease this pain. Take this suffering away. Because our Messiah is coming. So they're looking for help. And what do they get? They get a carpenter. Hey, a carpenter! A carpenter who then stands in front of them and says, I want you to give in and give up. Perfect. What an answer. I want you to give in to your enemy, give up your religious rules, and in doing so, I want you to respect those that rule you. Really? Really? So this is the lemon. It may look palatable to you, but bite into it and it's bitter and tart and it's offensive. Philip Yancey in his book calls this the message of offence. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the established law and makes it even harder. This is the target going further and further out of reach. He's making the law impossible to keep and then he's asking us to keep it. Right at the beginning, it seems nice, doesn't it? We had them on the screen earlier. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, that's me. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. All of them speaking about me. Thank goodness. I didn't read the second half of each of those, which also speak about me. But then we get the passages uh, later in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says that we are the salt and the light, but we're in danger of losing our flavour. Sorry, we're in danger of losing our (laughs) flavour. I'll get there. And we're hiding our light under a bushel. Where's your grit? Jesus says that if we break any command, we will be the least of all people. Any command? Really? Jesus says that murder is wrong. I agree with him. But then goes on to say that even if you're angry with someone or you call someone a fool, you are in danger of hell. This is dramatic. Jesus says that adulteries are wrong, but then he says, even if you have lusted after someone, you carry the same penalty. Jesus does not just say, don't break an oath. He says, don't even make an oath. Jesus acknowledges that there may be hardship, even physical abuse. But rather than respond or retaliate, if they hit you on one cheek, give them the other one. 
If they take your garment, give them the whole tunic. If they ask you to walk a mile, go another mile as well. And to top it all, Jesus says that it's not good enough to accept your enemy. I want you to love them. Is this the message that the people wanted to hear? Here is the God of the Gospel. The God who we say is loving and compassionate. The God of hope. The God of purpose. Heaping unattainable requirements and heights. Overbearing burdens upon us. Is that the God we love and worship? As many of you know, I was forced into running. Thank you, Nick. I love running, actually. And if you said to me today, David, I want you to run a half marathon in an hour and a half, I would train hard and I might just do it. I've come close, but I would try and I would do it. If you then turn around to me and say, I want you to do the whole marathon in an hour and a half, I I mean, you're having a laugh. It's ridiculous. If I said to Phoebe, come and give me a high five here, she could do it. If I say, touch the arch, it's ridiculous. Quite ridiculous. If you said to me, drive the next 50 miles observing every single law of the road. You've seen me drive, clearly. I I might be able to do that. But if you said to me, drive the next 50,000 miles observing every single law in every single place, I'd say you're having a laugh. Here is a God who says, jump and jump so high that you can't reach it. It's madness. This isn't just a challenge, it's extremism. And extremism does not have a good name. Certainly not religious extremism. We become wary and worried, and quite rightly so, frankly. Have you seen the uh, TV programme Ridley Road on a Sunday evening? I don't know how many of you might have seen that. It's a portrayal of the National um, Socialist Party and their skirmishes with the Jewish people soon after the war. And it's about supremacy, it's provocative, and frankly, it's offensive. It's difficult watching, it's difficult viewing. Philip Yancey, in his book, has a friend called Virginia Owens, who is a lecturer at Texas University. Uh, And she said, I was struggling with the Sermon on the Mount, so I gave my students uh, the opportunity to write about the Sermon on the Mount. And I just said, it's free reign. Write exactly what you think, and write exactly what you feel. Virginia recalled her own introduction to the Sermon on the Mount in Sunday School, where pastel poster illustrations showed Jesus sitting on a green hillside surrounded by eager pink children. It never occurred to her to react with anger or disgust. Her students, however, thought otherwise. And these are quotes from their essays. 
The stuff the churches preach is extremely strict and allows for almost no fun without thinking it's a sin or not. And another. I did not like the essay, Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read and made me feel like I had to be perfect. And no one is. And another. The things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman is adultery. That is the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statement I've ever heard. At this point, Virginia wrote about the experience. I began to be encouraged, she says. There's something exquisitely innocent about not realising you shouldn't call Jesus stupid. This was the real thing. A pristine response to the gospel, unfiltered, through a two-millennia cultural haze. I found it strangely heartening that the Bible remains offensive to honest, ignorant ears, just as it was in the first century. For me, that somehow validates its significance. Whereas the Scriptures almost lost their characteristically astringent flavour during the past century, the current widespread biblical illiteracy should catapult us into a situation more nearly approximating that of their original first century audience. Offensive, astringent, yes, these are apt words to apply to the Sermon on the Mount. So what is it all about? Jesus is making these statements for a reason. He doesn't say something with no reason, no purpose. And the other Bible writers, interestingly, start unpacking some of what is being said. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Back in Romans, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus himself, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Challenging people to say, well, if you're calling me good, I'm God. The point that Jesus is making on the mount is that of a contrast and a challenge. Humankind cannot attain heaven under its own steam. We cannot work our way to heaven on our own. There is no one capable of providing a relationship with God except God. There is no hope except the hope that is in Jesus Christ. When I was uh, a a younger Christian, I was troubled by a verse in uh, Hebrews 12, which says, Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one could see the Lord. And I struggled with it. And every time I did something wrong, which was pretty much a daily basis, I would feel that guilt. I've done it again. I'm still not holy. I'm still not good enough. I couldn't see how it was in any way possible for me to achieve what God wanted. But I had taken my eyes off 
the subject of our series, the incarnational Christ, God with us. I'll go back to Yancey. Yancey talks a lot about two Russian authors, Tolstoy and Solzhenitsyn. Uh, and he gets a lot of his uh, thoughts for this particular passage through those two authors. Uh, Tolstoy, uh, uh, sorry, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, not Solzhenitsyn, Dostoevsky. Uh, Tolstoy was a religious writer, uh, but he was fundamental in his thinking. His biographer says this, Tolstoy suffered from a fundamental theological inability to understand the incarnational Christ. His religion was ultimately a thing of law rather than of grace. A scheme for human betterment rather than a vision of God penetrating a fallen world. With crystalline clarity, Tolstoy could see his own inadequacy in the light of God's ideal, but he could not take the further step of trusting God's grace to overcome that inadequacy. As I look around and I listen to the news, I see all sorts of people setting rules, setting ideals, judging other people, saying that they haven't come up to scratch, haven't come to the sort of threshold that they would set for themselves. That's what our political editors do all the time. And we set these standards that no one can achieve. And to us, Jesus is saying, no one can reach the heights. I know that. That is precisely why I came. It is like trying to reach the top of this arch. But you can't do it. So Jesus has brought his ladder with him. And he's going to carry us up. So that then we can touch it. But only with his grace. That's the beauty of the lemon, isn't it? We love a lemon. And it's bitter and it's tart and it's offensive but you can do wonderful things with it because of its flavour Jesus was speaking to people who were desperately trying to reach heaven under their own steam but the bar is set out of reach and the only answer is to seek help and the extraordinary thing is the very person that sets that bar out of reach is the very person that leans down and says, come on, I'll lift you up. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. I am the light of the world. Whoever follow me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus says, I'm leaning down. I want to lift you up. The Sermon on the Mount is confrontational. Far more to their ears than to ours. 
It is a contradiction, and yet the answer is before us. The loving gift of Jesus Christ. He sets the high ideal to show that we cannot do it by ourselves. But the grace of God is such that he comes down amongst his people and lifts them up to the throne of his Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you haven't left us alone. You haven't left us without hope. You haven't left us without purpose. You have not left us without our Messiah. For you are here. You're present with us. And we thank you this morning that you lean down in order to lift us up to your throne of grace. You are a King of kings, Lord of lords, majesty of all majesty. And we thank you.